buckle up and get ready to embark on our true crime road trip. Our second stop, the Philippines. Although it is a country that is reported as having a high crime rate, not a lot of the cases are spoken about in countries like the USA. That's why tonight, I have compiled a collection of some of the darkest cases from the country that will keep you up at night. First, we're heading to Paranaque City, where a young and extremely talented actor named Ram Revia lived. Ram was born on the 12th of February 1988 into a family that already had deep roots in the entertainment industry. From the early years of his life, he showcased a natural talent for performing. He was destined to make make it in the industry, and everyone around him could see that. He quickly made a name for himself, starring in popular television shows and captivating people all around the country. His life seemed like a fairy tale, and he was certainly destined for great things and unthinkable success. But a tragic event would change things forever on the 28th of October 2011. On this day, Ram and his girlfriend Janelle had been enjoying each other's company for the entire day, watching movies and sharing meals. Later in the evening, a knock on the door would disrupt them, but they would rush to the door to check who was there. It was Mara, Ram's younger sister, and she had come over to ask if she could borrow a video camera. She had decided to stay for a bit, but what she didn't know was that she had accidentally left the door unlocked, an act that would prove to be fatal. As the clock struck midnight, Ram, Mara and Janelle were relaxing in the home. A masked man would force his way through the unlocked door of the home, and gunshots would shatter the silence. The first shot hit Janelle in the jaw, causing her to lose focus and give the attacker a time to pounce on her with a knife stabbing her twice in the chest. As she was losing consciousness, she could see Ram attempting to fight off the ruthless attacker. His attempt was unsuccessful though, as a shot would be fired again, this time hitting Ram in the right side of his chest. Out of pure rage, the attacker then stabbed Ram a total of 11 times across his body. In a final effort to get help, Janelle tried desperately to get the attention of Mara, who was speaking calmly on the phone to her younger sister. Mara rushed out of the apartment to get help, but when she didn't return, Janelle attempted to call the authorities using her own phone. She struggled, but eventually, they were found and brought to the hospital, where Janelle was treated for her injuries and thankfully survived. Ram, however, was not so lucky as he perished on arrival at the age of 23. His life had been cut abruptly short, and his loved ones were desperate for someone to pay. Now, first of all, let's discuss Ram's complicated family history. Ram had been born into a sprawling lineage. The child of Ram Ravia Sr., his father was rumoured to have as many as 81 different children with multiple different women. Ram had evidently found himself entangled in a complicated family web. Jeneline was the mother of her victim. She desperately wanted recognition within the family and to stand by Ram Sr.'s side. This resulted in a lot of tension between her and the children, as her efforts were seen as desperate. It didn't help that financial matters were also a part of the dispute. Ram's other girlfriends had wanted money, yes, but they sought relatively modest investments that they would then use to start their own business and follow their dreams. Jeneline, however, had a different idea. She did not have a job and was not eager to start any sort of business or make a life for herself independently. Instead, she had amassed a credit card debt of over 2.3 million pesos, and the only thing she wanted from Ram Sr. was to move into his biggest mansion. In 2008, things would change in an instant when Ram Sr. suffered a stroke. The family would be distraught, 
and this would eventually cause even more issues between Jeneline and the rest of the family. It was reported that Jeneline's children had been receiving 290,000 pesos every month in allowance from their father. Jeneline had also been receiving some money for her personal expenses, however, this number has not been disclosed. A few years later, in 2011, the luxurious lifestyle that Ram Sr. had allowed them to live was starting to crumble. Jeneline took to Facebook to report that her finances had been cut off and that she was sick of being called a parasite by his other children. Despite her claims of being cut off, other family members have stated that they have never interrupted the arrangement and she was still receiving the cash. It was around this time that Ram would go off to follow his own career so that he wasn't reliant on what his family could offer him. He wanted to do more in life and he was certainly on his way to stardom. Also at this time, Ram and his younger brother RJ had gotten into an argument regarding finances. RJ had recently purchased a new car, but sold it a short while later for around 800,000 pesos. Ram had found out about this and, being the eldest and therefore responsible for handling the family finances, had told Ram Sr who punished RJ by withholding the money that he was set to put down for another car. This infuriated RJ, who was seeing red as his brother was getting involved in matters that he believed he should have nothing to do with. RJ had previously been responsible for handling the finances of the family, but this role had been taken off of him for unknown reasons, although some believe it may be because of the sale of his car. This argument between the pair led some people, including the investigators working the case, to believe that RJ was suspect number one in the slaying. Although Ram had been painted as a loving sibling and boyfriend, Janelle has claimed in the past that that wasn't the whole truth. She admitted that Ram had sometimes physically harmed her and that he had also beat and choked his own siblings in the past. She said this to be fully transparent about who he really was behind the scenes, but this didn't help RJ's case of being a suspect, as this just further highlighted him as having a reason to slay his brother. And things would just continue to go downhill for the primary suspect, as investigations and interviews would reveal some damning information. People close to Ram, who resided nearby, had not heard the gunshots that night. It was discovered that this was because the assailant had attached a silencer to the gun before pulling the trigger. Ram's personal assistant was sleeping during the crime, and only woke up when the police came for his statement. Despite this though, he did report that he had seen Mara and RJ leaving the home together, with two security guards nearby reporting the same thing. It seemed as though this was to be believed, but it didn't paint Mara in a good light. Mara had claimed that she had been kidnapped by the Slayer, however, some people believed that this was not true. She had actually fled to Turkey, where she was an official resident due to her marriage. But this wasn't the end of things going wrong for the brother's sister, Jewel. A man came forward and told the police that he knew the middlemen in the slaying. He claimed that they had come to him and asked him and his friend to help them commit the crime. He and his friend had refused, but they had already revealed the plan to them, including the masterminds behind it all. According to the friend, the masterminds behind it all were RJ and Mara. Two gunmen were hired to end the life of Ram, and they made their way to his home on the night of October 11th. They scanned the property, but when they were about to break down the door, they heard a gun being loaded on the other side. This led them to flee the scene in a panic, and the plan was reworked with new gunmen being found. This was when the man and his friend who came forward would be contacted, and the middlemen would ask them to be the ones to carry out the slaying. When they refused, 
No one but the assailants knew who really carried out the crime, as it is unknown exactly who was under the mask that night. There is one prominent theory though, that the person who took Graham's life was RJ himself. RJ was arrested and police filed charges against all the suspects identified in the crime following his arrest. The younger sister who Mara had made a phone call to during the crime had charges filed against her. However, the case against her was dropped as he didn't have enough evidence to put her behind bars. The sister also argued that if Janelle was seriously injured and on the brink of falling unconscious that night, then how could she remember who was on the phone to Mara? Over the next few years, RJ would request bail. However, his request would be denied. He also pleaded not guilty to all involvement in the crime. Mara had not been arrested when RJ had, as she had fled to Cyprus from Turkey in order to avoid the authorities. She had sent a video message after making her escape, explaining why she had made up that she had been kidnapped, claiming that it was because she felt ashamed for fleeing the scene without helping her brother and his girlfriend. She also theorised in the message that the attacker actually intended to only take the life of Janelle due to her being attacked first. And to round it all off, she made the bold claim that it wasn't RJ who committed the crime, but rather Ram's personal assistant. She continues to move all around Europe in a desperate attempt to avoid arrest, and she has even been placed on Interpol's most wanted list for immediate arrest and extradition. No one believes the story that she claimed in her message, not even members of her own family, and a lot of people just want to see her brought to justice so this case can finally be put to rest. Ram Sr. continued to believe in his son's innocence for years to come, stating that his children grew up in the word of God and that he was a good son. He passed away in June 2020 of heart failure at the age of 93. Before he passed, he did manage to see RJ found not guilty of the slaying of Ram, as the court concluded that they did not have enough evidence to convict him or his alleged accomplices. Mara remains on the run, with a warrant currently out for her arrest. However, no significant developments have been made in the search for her since the acquittal in 2019. It seems like the only way this case will ever be solved is if Mara is found someday. However, as the years go on, this seems more and more unlikely. It shocked a lot of people when RJ was acquitted, but if there's not enough evidence, then it was always bound to happen. What do you think really happened to Ram? Was it one of his family members who took his life? Has Mara proved that she is guilty by running for so long? Let me know, as I'd be interested to hear your take on this disturbing slaying. It is reported that the crime rate in Manila, the capital of the Philippines, is quite high in all categories. In a series of chilling incidents that unfolded in the year 1965, would forever etch themselves into the history books as some of the most horrifying crimes committed in the country. The victims were innocent schoolchildren, who had their faces marked by the merciless slashings of an unknown group of perpetrators. The news of these gruesome acts sent shockwaves through the city leaving the community in a state of fear and the authorities desperately searching for answers. With over 600 reported attacks, the elementary schools of Manila quickly became a hunting ground for these disturbed individuals. The police, overwhelmed by the sheer amount of reports, dispatched hundreds of patrols across the city, desperately hoping to put an end to the madness that gripped communities with fear. But even with the heightened police presence, the young students remained petrified 
glancing over their shoulders while walking home alone, fearing that they too would fall victim to the ruthless face slashers. Authorities launched a full-on investigation, determined to unmask the motives behind these senseless acts of violence. Amid the chaos, several theories emerged, each offering a glimpse into the minds of the perpetrators yet all failing to provide a definitive explanation. One theory proposed that the scars were the result of extortion, suggesting that the children had been coerced into performing illicit deeds on behalf of the underground gangs that plagued their communities. Another theory focused on the harrowing grip of drug addiction, speculating that the victims had either fallen prey to substance abuse or were forcibly pushed into a life of addiction from a young age. A third theory stated that the scars symbolised gang membership, a cruel initiation rite that marked the children as part of an exclusive and dangerous group. Finally, some politically aligned people believed that communists had carried out the crime in an attempt to leave their mark on the local community. The sheer amount of theories only added to the confusing nature of the crimes, highlighting the sheer madness that had taken over the capital city. Eventually, the authorities managed to apprehend two teenage suspects. These individuals, known members of a notorious local gang, were caught near an elementary school, clutching a terrified eight-year-old boy who bore the fresh wound of their brutality. Although they managed to escape briefly, they were eventually captured and identified by their young victim. The motive behind their crimes remained a mystery though, as the pair refused to disclose their reasons. Further investigation revealed how they would carry out the attacks, and that an extra person was involved in the whole thing. Accompanied by an unknown woman, the trio would entice unsuspecting schoolchildren away from safety, luring them with promises of candy. Once in a secluded location, the assailants would reveal their weapons, usually a large blade or a shard of broken glass, and unleash their merciless attack upon their young victims. Some children found themselves at the mercy of large knives while others would experience the agony caused by wet cotton soaked in corrosive acid. The aftermath was marked by drying skin, relentless itching, painful blisters, and permanent scars. A reminder every time they looked in the mirror of the trauma that they had endured at the hands of these monsters. As the case unfolded though, and it seemed it was reaching its conclusion, one police officer presented an alternative theory. In a report to the mayor, he suggested that a significant number of the wounds were actually self-inflicted, attributing them to the influence of a local film. According to his account, the film's protagonist had resorted to slashing his own face in an attempt to disguise himself. He suggested that some of the children may have imitated the act, but the theory failed to explain the entirety of the case or the possibly isolated incidents of extortion that had been reported. To this day, the case of the face slashers of Manila remains unsolved. After 1965, no further attacks were reported leaving behind a chilling spree that had ended as abruptly as it had begun. The perpetrators seemed to have slipped away, evading justice and leaving the community with the terrifying knowledge that those responsible for the disturbing acts may never face the consequences of their actions. The scars, both physical and psychological, serve as a reminder of the horrors that once haunted the streets of the capital. The entertainment industry is huge in the Philippines, and one actress was particularly loved from the moment she stepped on screen. Dorothy Jones, usually referred to by her stage name Nida Blanca, 
was born on January 6, 1946. She was a daughter of a Filipino mother and an American soldier, and this made her stand out during her childhood. When she was only 14 years old, she caught the attention of a former movie star, Delia Razon. She could see an incredible amount of talent and potential in the young girl, and so, she took a chance on her and convinced the owner of one of the biggest film production companies in the country to give her the chance to become a star. The owner agreed, and he was completely blown away. Anita quickly rose to fame and became known as a leading lady after making her presence known next to some of the most popular male film stars in the 1950s. Her talent extended beyond movies though, as she also made an immense impact on the world of television, starring in many iconic TV shows and securing her status as a household name. Her wonderful career spanned over six decades, and in that time, she appeared in over 200 movies. During her life, she married twice. Her first marriage was with a man named Victorino, and they had a child together named Catherine. The marriage ended when their daughter was only two years old. However, she would marry again in 1979, this time to American singer and actor Rod Strunk. Although her career was going swimmingly, there were darker days coming. November 7th, 2001 the day news would drop that would shock the world. The lifeless body of Nida had been discovered in the back seat of her car, in the car park of a building in San Juan City. She was 65 years old at the time she perished, and she had been brutally stabbed multiple times across her body. The gruesome details of her slaying left people in complete disbelief that someone could do this to a beloved figure like Nida. An investigation quickly began as police moved to solve this horrific crime. Several theories quickly emerged in the aftermath of her assassination. One theory revolved around her husband, Rod, who some believe was the mastermind behind her slaying. It is alleged that Nida had left Rod out of her will in favour of handing over all of her belongings to Catherine, and that he was so infuriated by this fact that he ended her in a fit of rage. A slightly different theory states that he may not have carried out the act himself, but rather hired a professional assassin to eliminate his wife. More fuel was added to the fire when reports surfaced of some disagreements between the two. Some outlets even reported that Nida had been a victim of domestic abuse at the hands of Rod. Even the Philippines police force pushed this theory and convinced the majority of the country that Rod had taken the life of Nida. Not everyone would believe this though, with some of the most popular radio hosts questioning if he had any involvement at all. And that takes us to the second theory. During a press conference held by the police a mere 13 days after her slaying, a man named Philip Medell took to the stage, dressed in all black. He declared to the masses that he had taken the life of Nida, stating that he had been hired by a man named Mike Martinez for a sum of 50,000 pesos. Just four days later though, he came out and publicly took back his confession, claiming that he had been coerced into taking the blame by police officers through methods of torture. He didn't stop there though, as he also claimed that the man he accused of hiring him had been slain by the Philippine National Police after he made his confession. People were already questioning if Medell had anything to do with the crime, as TV reporters and officials were debating his credibility. They concluded beforehand that he was intentionally misleading the authorities, and his recanted confession just further proved that they may have been right all along. 
The third theory delves into a complex situation involving a powerful politician and a significant sum of money. According to this theory, Nida had become involved with the politician, who entrusted her with the aforementioned money while facing a legal case. It is theorised that greedy individuals presented Nida from returning the money as he sought to take advantage of the politician's loss of power. Another version of this theory suggests that Nida refused to repay the money, leading the politician's associates to believe that she needed to be taught a lesson. The long-term secretary of Nida refuted this theory, however, stating that Nida had actually been short on funds recently and had to borrow money from Rod's pension in order to keep up with her financial responsibilities. Still though, some people believe this to be the most believable. The final theory states that a group of individuals ran a money lending business out of a casino, which saw major profits in a short period of time. A former movie star was reportedly a big name behind the business, and when they fell ill, they entrusted Nida with keeping the business running and gave her a list of debtors to follow up on. This wasn't just a lending business run by ordinary debt collectors though, as it is alleged that it was actually an underground network of hitmen and ex-assassins. The theory goes on to state that when when the movie star passed away, Nida was promoted and given his role. They believe that she was then put in a vulnerable position, and she was offed by either someone who owed the company money or someone that didn't like her rise to the top. This theory is probably the least likely to be the real reason behind her slaying, as she doesn't seem like the type of person that would be involved in shady business like this, especially if she was allegedly running low on cash herself. In the years that followed her slaying, no new evidence ever came to light leaving her family, friends, and fans desperate for answers. Tragedy struck again in 2007, when Rod would end his own existence by jumping off of a hotel balcony in California. Evidence in the hotel room suggested the theory that he took his own life. However, some people believe that he was actually slain. Prior to his end, though, he was actually charged as a mastermind behind the slaying of Nida. He fled the country to the USA five months before the charges were filed, and so, he was never arrested or tried for her killing. The other suspect, Medell, passed in 2010, so all suspects associated with this case are no longer with us. And that takes us to today, where Nida's case still remains unsolved. People continue to theorise about what really happened to Nida, and they hope that one day, they can discover that crucial detail that can bring her killer to justice. Her legacy lives on though, and she is truly an icon of the Philippines. Before we move on to the final stretch, I would like to give a quick shout out to my patrons Neil, Morrigan, Alex Rod, K4 Silver, Entrepreneur, Collecty Key, and Chelsea Weinzel. Just to let you know, all of my videos are also available on Spotify if you wish to download them or listen to them with or without video. Now, without further hesitation, on to the final case. A shocking incident would unfold in Angeles City on the 12th of July 2010. The terrifying discovery of two lifeless bodies would be made at a hotel building. The bodies were of 60-year-old Canadian Jeffrey Allen Bennon and his 20-year-old partner Abigail Helena. They had both been mercilessly shot in the head from point-blank range and their faces had been concealed by various objects. Due to some missing items in the home, police quickly concluded that the motive behind the slaying was robbery. While they searched for a suspect, they thought that this brutal attack was simply a one-off. But they would be proven wrong just four days later. On July 16th, 
50-year-old British man James Bolton Porter and his 22-year-old partner Melissa Madarang would be discovered, slain in their home. Both victims had been shot from point-blank range and their faces had been covered by various objects. The pieces were quickly put together and authorities feared that they may now be dealing with a serial killer. Eleven days later, they would strike again. US veteran Albert Mitchell and his wife Janet were discovered in their residence and once again, they had been slain. As well as the couple, the lifeless bodies of the two housekeepers and their friend were also found at the same location. The serial killer had struck again and this was apparent when it was discovered that all five victims had been shot at point-blank range in the head, with some being shot in the chest. All of their faces had been concealed using various objects. This time, another connection was made. From all of the crime scenes, the perpetrator had always stolen electronic devices. They also realised that all of the victims had been foreigners. In addition to this, there were no signs of forced entry at any of the crime scenes, leading police to believe that there was some level of familiarity between the victims and the monster that took their lives. Witnesses were also eager to come forward with information. The first witness was a security guard who was in the area the day the final crime was committed. An unknown man had been spotted entering and then leaving the residence at around 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The security guard was suspicious as the man entered with nothing but exited carrying some sort of bag. He confronted the man and commanded him to wait outside while the guard went inside to carry out a check of the home. When he stepped inside, he felt something in the air and he quickly discovered the five bodies, one of the victims being his own sister. He rushed outside to apprehend the man but he was nowhere to be seen. He had fled the scene. With this and a few other witness reports, the police drew up a sketch of the suspect who was spotted at all of the crime scenes. It was then that a crucial witness would come forward, the niece of one of the victims, Marie's Andronada. Marie's had been staying with Albert and Janet Mitchell prior to their slaying, and she had recognised the sketch as a man named Mark Deason. Deason had been regularly visiting the home, offering computer repair services and assisting the family with their electronic problems. She still had him on Facebook, and so the authorities were also able to draw the link when they saw his picture. They carried out background checks on him, and it was discovered that he had been working as a computer technician. Because of his unique skill set, he was able to build a connection with foreigners who were in need of assistance, and this gave him access to victims and their homes. Additionally, the owner of a pawn shop reported some gadgets that had been sold to him by Deason as ones that the police were looking for as they had been stolen from a victim's home by the killer. With this, they were 100% sure that he was their man and so they began to think up a plan to apprehend the suspect. They contacted his parents and attempted to convince them to get their son to surrender. It was during this initial contact that his father would reveal that his son had gone off to join the New People's Army, a rebel group in the Philippines. They got in touch with Deason, pretending to be MPA rebels, and they arranged a meeting in a few days' time. Deason would attend, and he would be arrested by the authorities and charged with theft, and seven counts of murder. He denied any involvement in each of the crimes, 
desperately trying to convince his interrogators that he was not present at the time of the crime. In addition to this, his father also did not believe that his son was capable of committing these disturbing acts of violence. Deason is currently being held in the Angeles City District Jail, and he continues to deny any involvement in the slayings of the foreigners. His fate now lies in the hands of the judge, who will take his trial and he may be sentenced to life in prison if the judge sees fit. This is a disturbing case of a serial killer who seemingly came out of nowhere, but hopefully, the wounds that he left upon the city can finally begin to heal. If you want to hear more about disturbing cases and mysteries, then click this playlist on the screen to fall down the rabbit hole.